Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Transformers, Dark of the Moon. In the year 1969, man did land on the moon, but only because alien robots were up there. That's the best reason ever, right? Is that a common one that we did land on the moon, but it's because there were aliens? That's it's not uncommon. Yeah. Okay. Or, or or there's like <laughs> weird temples and stuff on the dark side of the moon. I've heard that. Um I've heard that the aliens were like we didn't expect them, but they told us to go away, which is why the missions ended. Okay. Yeah. Or you or and then there's the what there's a Stanley Kubrick directed the aliens version. That, that one's fun, of course. <laughs> My favorite is that the moon landing was real, but the footage was bad, so they still had to get Stanley Kubrick to do it. That that yeah, actually I think that is my favorite. That's like the best of both worlds. You get a whack, <laughs> you get a whack conspiracy theory, and you still get to go to the moon. So yeah. <laughs> um, Who are you? Have you guys seen Apollo 18? Wait. Oh, I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. What was yes. the... It, it's kind of like a conspiracy mockumentary where it turns out the moon is populated by very homicidal, like, rock aliens, and they start okay. attacking the astronauts. It's hilarious and terrifying. It's a great kind of comic horror movie. I think you, oh, okay. you guys would love that it. That sounds pretty yeah. fun, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I've, I've also had... um I haven't seen this, but I, th- I think it's a Swedish film or something, uh, Iron Sky, which is the... The Nazis yes, on the moon. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I yeah, think I ended up getting like six perfect. sequels or something as well. Oh, that now I don't want to see the first one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to jump straight to like number five? <laughs> Maybe. No, I'm just like I, I. I feel like if you're going to go with like weird high concept sci-fi Nazis, maybe you should like stop after one movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they're diminishing returns. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! It's like, not a great starting point. <laughs> does, doesn't Sharknado uh, have growing concerns? I just no, no, no. The Sharknado, it, the first one's great because the cast didn't quite realize how funny it was, and <laughs> okay. then all the sequels try and be comedies, and they're nowhere near as good. How about Six Headed Shark? I haven't seen Six Headed Shark. <laughs> okay, because a student a few days ago is like, "What did you do?" He's like, "I watched the movie." As as Luke knows, you then have to ask them what movie, or they won't tell you. And he was like trying to explain it, and like, and finally got it through. That was a six-headed shark, and I, I looked it up. And I'm like, oh, that's two point seven on the IMDb. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, this is Matt here. Just Luke. This this is our moon sanctuary today. Actually, we don't spend much time on the moon. In Transformers Three: Dark of the Moon, no, it's Transformers: Dark of the Moon. Excuse me, we don't actually say three, do we? Everyone puts the number in there, but none of the films have the number. Oh, I checked. Yeah, I checked to make sure there is no number. So, yeah. Um, joining us, coming back, 
for us to get into all those wild military industrial complex thoughts about Transformers is Tom Secker from Spy Culture. Hello. Hi, guys. Welcome back. (laughs) Thanks for having me back. I think we have an interesting one here because if I if I'm reading this correctly, Luke Luke believes he's Optimus Prime. I am. Oh, especially when I'm wearing the mask. Yeah, <laughs> I love I love wearing masks. I do the pull it down, pull it up thing, and it always feels like Optimus Prime with his little mask. Little. <laughs> oh right, right. Got you. Okay. Oh, the you Optimus your, Prime specifically. You got your Transformers T-shirt. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Whereas, whereas Tom, you you said you you said you're not forgiving me for making you watch this again. <laughs> no, th- this is something of a therapy session for me. This conversation, <laughs> I do have some notes, but they're mostly questions that I'm hoping you guys are going to be able to help me with. <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, well, you have all the background to how how we got here um, with the cia fbi i don't i don't know who's involved with transformers so much I, it feels like just the ura army thing to me but uh <laughs> uh this one it was the the military and nasa actually did quite a lot of help oh that makes sense oh right yeah, sure. yeah they got that shuttle um getting in the booster to, to escape well and all that stuff but um yeah yeah oh no I, luke i guess you probably have a tale of seeing this for the first time a, a tale of triumph possibly yeah vomit. i saw I saw this film four times in theaters. <laughs> the first one, I just went and saw it at the the big cinema with my then girlfriend. Um, I think I then watched it when it came to the local cinema in my hometown, just with some pals. Uh, what I do remember is I, so I saw it once all the way through. Then I saw it once, but the reel cut out like 10 minutes from the end. And the third time I saw it, we got there about five minutes late. So I would always say that I'd only seen it in theaters twice. <laughs> and my girlfriend would get really annoyed because she'd sat through two and a half hours of movie and I wasn't letting her count it as having watched the movie. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen it yet. We have to go see well, it. Well, no, she, she'd still seen it once. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think I did just catch it once in theaters. I think this, I think this is the... Uh straw that broke the 3d camels back oh i did i maybe i only saw it once in 3d and i, I think i'm in the same boat i was just i think I, I don't need 3d especially with the way my moves his camera although yeah. having gone to 3d did force him to actually calm down the shots a little bit in this one <laughs> okay that's that's cool but yeah no for me it was um i actually it wasn't completely my choice but it's happy to have made the choice it was just um Japanese theaters about this time suddenly started showing the um, dubbed version in 3D instead of the subtitled. So uh-huh. I guess it makes sense. You don't want to have subtitles on 3D. It's weird. Yeah, true. <laughs> so, um, Tom, is this what this, the second time you've seen this then or or the first? I don't know. <laughs> I imagine. No, no, it's, it will only be the second. I've never seen it in a cinema, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> I've never enjoyed Transformers movies enough to pay for them. I'll certainly say that much. But then again, I don't. I don't tend to pay for movies that often without giving too much away about how I watch movies. But yes, this is only the second time. I've well, not only have did I buy watch this film four times in theaters, I've bought it on DVD twice and on Blu-ray once. So because <laughs> I bought it in the UK, then upgraded to Blu-ray, and then I've since bought it in Japan. Okay. And nonetheless, I watched it on Netflix this week. So. 
I think I actually did end up watching this one on disc. See, for me, it's like like Transformers, the second one. I, I when we watched it what a year or two ago, I, I actually did kind of enjoy it. And I just remembered that being a top mess of a movie, which it is. I was just like in the mood for it, you know. Mm. I mean, like you said, you're in a you get in a certain mood for that one. Um <laughs> but um I did all the way to this, especially the first two and this one as well. I, I kind of felt like I have been programmed to go see this movie. Like, it doesn't mm. matter if it's good, right? I have been programmed to see it because I was a child watching the cartoon and, and now they're giving me this movie. So it's like, you know, I, I followed my programming for this one. <laughs> I see, I just thought I'm going to see a truck turn into a robot and then his hand's going to turn into a sword. And he's going to cut another robot in half and he's going to turn back into a truck and do a big stunt. Yeah, yeah, that was enough Matt, for me. <laughs> five-year-old Matt wanted that, so it, it yeah, came through. Luke never but, stopped wanting that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was just yeah, like looking back, it's almost now like I'm I'm some weird drone like being sent into the movie theater, which which is part of the vibe here, I guess. Mm. Really, when you think about it, so. Um, well, the whole you... franchise was always designed to tap into that kind of childish nostalgia for the Transformers things, um, and if you that's all you want to see from if that's all you want from your transformers movie then let's face it these movies do deliver on that there are ah, plenty of transformers in them i see you haven't um, spent any time around transformers fans <laughs> i don't think except for you i guess i haven't either i mean yeah i've been on <laughs> forums and convent the problem is the designs look very different to how they did in the 80s mm. and that's enough and oh and it has too many humans so <laughs> actually a lot of the the old the like super fans hate these films um but it's, yeah because it's the general public in all of the adolescent romance subplot yeah. nonsense and the comedy with the parents and so on and so on and so on yeah i think it, it hit the nostalgia buttons for people who played with transformers as a kid and haven't thought about them in 30 years Raise yes. his hand. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, yeah, the the mega Transformers nerds I'm familiar with, most of them really don't like it. Let me guess, though, they still watch the films. Yep. 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 No, I'm the poster child of that concept. There. So, oh, you mean the the cater geeks, right? Okay. Yeah. Like Star Trek and the Kelvin verse, which I I don't I don't think either of us hate, except for maybe that one movie. But uh, <laughs> you know, I I, I kind of get that. Um, I want to take just like three steps back and I'm curious what is the movie y'all have seen the most in the cinema for me I think it's actually Pulp Fiction because oh excuse me it's Rocky Horror we've done that okay um, second would be Pulp Fiction where I think I saw that like six times like it would just be like Friday night I guess we're going to see Pulp Fiction again and our um, often guest Andrew he saw it like a couple dozen times because it was in the movie theaters for like six months. <laughs> so it's it's weird now to think about like how big a movie that was when it came out. But uh, Luke, Luke, what's your most times in the theater? Transformers 4. <laughs> 4. <laughs> Just because I happened to be recently single in that one so I could get away with going a whole bunch. <laughs> so what's your number? Only six. Oh, okay, you're, you're at six. Uh, Tom, you, you said you have covert means, but I'm I'm sure you've gotten a few theater reviews of something. Well, I'm thinking I'd have to go back quite a long ways to when I went to the cinema an awful lot and would go and see films more than once. Um, it would it'd have to be something like it's either Jurassic Park 
or the Adams family. And I can't remember which one because both of those are quite a long time ago. Um, but I do remember see, going to see those multiple times at the cinema because I was obsessed with both the films. Uh, so yeah, I just watched that. I don't sound like last year. My daughter was like, show me some horror. And I tried that. She liked it, but she's like, no, 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 show me some horror. <laughs> so <laughs> I was still trying to like keep it kind of kiddie. But um, yeah, maybe, maybe she wants to be Wednesday Adams now. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> show her the original texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> well i i've said it several times on podcast we did go for the shining and alien so i i didn't pull my punch too much after that <laughs> no, no. um as for transformers 3 let me just get the tail off and spoil everything or i i'd like to think this is actually like a reminder for people right so um off to the races let's roll, roll. out Roll out. There you go. Because <laughs> my friend actually used to say, let's roll for some reason. Huh. He says that sometimes too. Okay, then I'm not wrong. There was a lunar landing conspiracy, all right. Turns out Buzz and Neil were there to scout out the Ark, a spaceship hailing from Cybertron containing the leader of the Autobots, Leonard Nimoy. Meanwhile, the Autobots now living on Earth are just doing the global house cleaning. Next stop, Chernobyl. Optimus Prime discovers a fuel cell, cell clearly taken from the Ark and this leads him to discovering and rebooting Leonard Nimoy. Meanwhile, part two, Autobot boy toy Sam Witwicky has saved the world twice, has a supermodel girlfriend Carly that he cohabitates a swank pad with, but he is still a schlub looking for a job and driving a rundown Datsun. Oh, and Carly's boss, Dylan Gold, Gould, has eyes on her as well. But it turns out that gold is working for those evil Decepticons. See, those five pillar fuel cells and Leonard Nimoy were just a ruse to bring an army of Decepticons to Earth so they can combine forces to bring planet Cybertron to Earth. The ensuing violence gets the Autobots exiled from Earth. With no one to stop them, Gould kidnaps Carly and helps the Decepticons take over Chicago, which they can use as a base to summon Cybertron. Sam enters the city with the help of his army buddies, and just when all seems lost, the Autobots reveal themselves as having not actually left the planet. There's a massive battle around Chicago. Sam and crew get caught in a slowly falling building, and Optimus Prime gets super violent, taking out both Megatron and Leonard Nimoy. The Autobots are still standing to make things explode another day, even if Sam is finished with this shit. Thank you.
Okay. Because yeah, we, this, this is the end of Sam's journey, isn't it? Yeah. This is the well, end of LaBeouf's journey as an actor, basically. <laughs> it's one of three or four endings of Michael Bay where he's like, I'm done. I'll do one more. I, he, he, people are just misunderstanding. It's like, I'm done with this movie. I finished making this particular movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, after this movie, presumably LaBeouf had made all the money anyone could ever need. And then he went through like his weird, I'm going to do art phase. And then I think there was some like, he did some weird stuff with people who showed up to his art things. And then, yeah, there was all the, I'm not famous stuff and the find me on Google Maps stuff. <laughs> so was it LaBeouf who did that thing where he watched all of his own movies back to yes. back in a cinema? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which with is, a live stream on his I, face. <laughs> Yeah, 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 which is vainglorious at the very least um, and just kind of, <laughs> I mean, obsessive and bizarre. Um, I mean, certainly he also did the uh, the really bad Indiana Jones movie. That was around the time of, I think, the first Transformers, or at least between the first and second. It was pretty early on. The time um, was speeding I up. Thought it was, I thought... <laughs> It was more recently than that, but I could be wrong. In any yeah. rate, um, yeah, certainly by the end of this trio, he'd, he'd made all the money anyone could ever need and did just seem to kind of completely go off the rails. He, he wasn't he, he was also in the, that music video for the Seer song where he plays a kind of homeless guy trapped in a cage. And yeah, that sounds like Shia LaBeouf shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not going to encourage people to go watch it because I found it really creepy and disturbing. But yeah, yeah, he he has done a lot of weird, weird stuff in his time since leaving the Transformers verse. Yeah, there is the great video with the the song about Shia LaBeouf, and then at the end it pulls out and he was sat in the audience watching it. Maybe I'm not I familiar mean, with that one. Oh, it's like it's about like a person who gets lost in the woods and hunted. For sport by Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I mean, if, for most actors, watching their own work is considered torturous, right? So he's um, he's doing penance for us. Oh yeah, because I mean, I think part of the idea was that he doesn't think these are good films. <laughs> like you see clips of it, and some, a lot of it is just him, like with his head in his hands or like shaking his head. I, I feel like he does this thing hardest in the second one. The second one is just like like whack time, right? So oh, yeah, the second one he gets to have the weird brain stuff, and it, it they clearly I guess his like like yeah I'll come back and do the second one if you let me just be really weird and comedic. Whereas this one he's he is very much just hitting the action movie leading man beats. Is this the only like real like lead slot for um? For the, the woman who is not Megan Fox? I th well, she was literally an underwear model before this. Yeah, I know she's a model. That's why so. Michael Bay got her in. Because <laughs> um, she, she did Mad Max, and she can actually act in that one a little bit. She has and I don't know anything else she's done. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it was just a dalliance. But I guess if you're in two major blockbusters, it's an impressive dalliance. Mm. Even. I mean, come on! I've been, I can't act. I I have a movie to prove it, right? I think she married Statham. Oh, well, that's pretty not, good. That's a big age difference. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, you're like, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. But uh, 
seems like a guy that would do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, who else do we have? I, other than those two, I mean, okay, Totoro's back. Oh, Francis McDormand. I, I was definitely like, what is Francis McDormand doing here? I'd forgotten she was in this. It's really <laughs> odd. See, for me, as the guy who watched, you know, probably had seen this 10 times before I'd seen her in anything else. I find it really funny when I remember that she's like a super legit actor who does like really good and important films. And I'm always like, oh, look, it's intelligence director Miriam from Transformers 3. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the, the thing before this out would be analogous is um, Dark Man, where she's like the romantic lead. And it's like, it's weird because she's a really good actor trying to shoehorn herself into a romantic lead that she's not really suited for and i don't mean this by her looks because this she was like young at the time when she did it anyway but just the way she acts like right doesn't make yeah, sense yeah. for that sort of thing she's just like way too intense which it is it is fun here so well before we move on completely i think one of the biggest flaws with this film is that they hastily replaced megan fox with rosie huntington whiteley and a clearly the script was mostly written for Megan Fox's character to still be there. Mm -hmm. And then B, this new one can't act very well. So she ends up being a Even compared to Megan Fox. Yes. (laughs) Well, Megan Fox, I think I've, um, one of our previous guests, Stuart, put it best that she's just, she can't act in a Michael Bay movie because Michael Bay doesn't direct his actors. Mm. And that's even more glaring when it's literally just a model that he's hired to be his leading woman. I mean, she's not asked to do much other than, you know, shake it. So, but like, even just like <laughs> delivering lines, she like stumbles her way through quite a few of them. <laughs> Whereas, you no, know, no, I least... did have in my notes that in, in Michael Bay films, women are for being sexy or crying. And yeah. so I was very, very puzzled when Frances McDormand turned up in this film because I was like, well, she's not there to do either of these things. Why on earth has she? She just didn't seem to fit in this universe at all. Is she just but there then, to course, prove that my women can do other things in like Bay Fargo and things? So, mm. I mean, same for Totoro, right? Although I guess he, I mean, he'll show up in like the Zohan and stuff. So, and and I, he's coming from weirder space. He's the Jesus and Big Lebowski. You can you can throw that kind of thing into a Michael Bay Transformer film. So, because he's equally prestige actor, he just does weirder stuff as well. He's the best thing in this in these films for me. I, yeah, I, I do very much. But anytime him and LaBeouf are on screen together, that's the best human interaction in these films. <laughs> mm. yeah, they my... actually have some kind of chemistry and some kind of vibe going at times. Yeah. And that's like every, every, everyone else feels like some actors who don't know each other performing in a movie where, like you say, they've had barely any direction, if any at all. Whereas those two seem to actually just bounce off each other naturally and therefore you get something, some kind of energy between them that makes you engaged in the film. But yeah, everyone else, I've never liked any of the other characters in these movies, but he stands out, not just because his character arc is quite interesting and thematically interesting, but also because he's a good actor and he kind of, he's not phoning it in at all. I think he's actually trying in these films to be entertaining and engaging and be fun to watch on screen. Oh yeah, he feels like he's having the time of his life. And getting paid for it, probably. Yeah. So I mean Well, the other one, um, this film also has John Malkovich. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, he's that, just there to Malkovich as hard as he can, right? But that really feels like a, you know, my grandkids watch this these films. I guess I'll do one appearance. Yeah, okay. like when Kendrick Lamar was on a Taylor Swift track. Yeah, he, he doesn't have to interact with any robots either, does he? He has one scene with Bumblebee. Oh, right. Okay. Um, but of course, the real fun here is the uh, voice acting. Of course, you know. Got proper yeah. proper Optimus Hugo. Hugo no, it's Hugo Weaving is still doing Megatron. This is the last one where Hugo Weaving is Megatron, and then they switch to Frank Welker for the other two. And but in this one, Welker is Shockwave. Is it? I think is Welkers are around to do like Soundwave and Shockwave and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Soundwave is what I think I meant. I I don't have them as worked out as you do. Um, mm. I even thought that was Galvatron at first because I don't know. I looked like the Galvatron toy a little bit. <laughs> well, the Shockwave. The first time I saw Shockwave, I, I was just thinking at that because, well, the, you know, that I I had Galvatron toy. I didn't have the Shockwave toy. So Soundwave, whatever. See, I mixed it up again already. It's like five yeah. seconds later. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look anything like Shockwave other than has big gun, has one eye. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I did have that one. Jeez, I don't even remember anymore. Okay. But no, the, uh, the standout new member of the voice cast for this one is obviously Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, I couldn't, as you heard, I just couldn't write Sentinel Prime, and I, I couldn't bring myself to do it when I could just call him Leonard Nimoy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Leonard Nimoy was Galvatron in the 1986 movie, but not yeah. for the subsequent TV seasons. Right. Uh, Did that make sense? I mean, yeah, Orson Welles' last role. Yeah, Transformers yep. always gets, like, weirdly specific voice talent. <laughs> I'm not sure I noticed it was Nimoy when I saw it in the theater, actually. Which, oh, I did big time. Yeah, I I don't know why because it's real obvious. It sounds like him, right? <laughs> sounds like him, and he even has like a couple of Spock lines thrown in there. Yeah, yeah exactly. So mm-hmm. honestly, probably, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Maybe it's one of those where you're you you hear the voice and you recognize it, but you never actually consciously think, "Oh, that's Leonard Nimoy." But because you know the voice, you just sort of assume it's fine. You know who this actor is, and you never really think about it. You know what I mean? You're not specifically trying to identify who that actor's voice is, but because it's a familiar voice, you're just like, yeah, sure, I know that. That's fine. But also, they don't, think. they don't generally have famous actors playing the Transformers in these three films. Yeah. Like Optimus Prime is still Peter Cullen from the 80s cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't tell you who many of the others are. I did have to remind myself it was Hugo weaving in here, like after the fact, like I didn't consciously even like, like watching it last week. I didn't like really pick up on them watching the film. I mean, I knew it, I just didn't think about where I mean, or he literally time. phoned in this role. <laughs> yeah. I know at least for the first film, he literally delivered his lines over the telephone. I don't know about <laughs> for the two sequels. I hope he had a good connection, but what well, didn't matter. He's a robot. He's a robot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, I was definitely this time around like, oh, yeah, Nimoy for, for sure. Probably because I just read his second autobiography. That might have had something to do with it. But <laughs> that's the one where he decided he was Spock as opposed mm. to not being Spock. <laughs> I want to read his third third autobiography. I'm a couple of Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that will have to be what spirit written, but that would make it better in a way. I've got a feeling I'm going to be alone in this opinion, but I think um, Leonard Nimoy's Sentinel Prime is actually a good character and a highlight of this movie. 
although that's mo- not necessarily down to writing or anything he does, mostly just down to Nimoy has a good voice and it has good music. <laughs> that's it, because, I mean, let's face it, he makes a, a whiplash surprise betrayal and then instantly starts twirling his mustache, which isn't yeah. technically, like, good writing. Unless no, unless that's, also, that's usually one of my least favorite things in movies is they act normal until you get the twist that they're a bad guy and then they completely change how they act on screen. You need a you need a lady. But I guess even when he was a you. good guy in this, he was just walking around like a mustache twirling villain. So. Yeah. That, that's that's the purpose of a Lady Macbeth, right? Mm. To make sure once to, to get the villain properly twirling his mustache, which we don't see Sentinel Prime just needs a, a, a lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, as you said before, a female transformer seems to be a problematic uh, area. Uh, sometimes they do it well, but not very often. Yeah. <laughs> but the, but- the best, the best version is the when the comics are just like, yeah, some of them choose to be um, male and some choose to be female. It means nothing; they're robots, and just right. don't try and explain it. And then you get like ones that do like a six-issue miniseries arc about how an ancient Cybertronian scientist experimented with adding gender to the species and how Arcee is a tortured soul because she's forcibly transgender or something. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's getting to the Thetan territory, isn't it? Yeah. If you if you have crash landed on Earth and need to assume the form of something, what what are you going to transform into? Um, helicopter. You're a helicopter. Okay, Tom. How, how about for you? Oh, sorry, Luke. Did you want to? This is a helicopter. It's, it moves around the best, right? And go anywhere from a helicopter. Okay. Mm. Tom, what is your transformation? Um, motorbike, just because oh, they're think. cool. Okay, I'm going with the cool factor. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna go into a, a Fender Telecaster guitar, also because I want to be the one of those transformers <laughs> that transforms into something like they're a big transformer. Because in, in these movies, like the cassette tape, like transforms into a small robot, right? I want, uh, you're I want, thinking like '80s cartoon where they just completely change size through camera trickery when they transform. Right. I want to I want to be like a full size transformer, but then I like turn into like an electric guitar. Okay. I guess I could turn into a giant one that a tr- another transformer could play, but not a human. I don't know. That I guess that defeats the purpose of hiding yourself. So, <laughs> I, an I, art installation. I was about to say I live at the Hard Rock Cafe in that case, <laughs> over the front door. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, this is design-wise. Twenty eleven is a weird spot where like every movie had the exact same climax. Okay, no, let me clarify. 
this movie came out and then every movie had this climax. Okay. Just like the first film, every film of the past 10, 15 years has ripped off the visuals of Transformers and not enough people give it credit. <laughs> like every space alien and spaceship and robot in every film of the last 15 years has just been a Decepticon with the same design, the same sound effects. Yeah. And I then, mean... yeah, every film for like five or 10 years there had big blue bean fight in city. <laughs> Blue beam, right? Uh, my first line here is uh, my first line, my first note. Hey, they stole the sound effects from Transformers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the most heinous was the first Avengers film because it came out a year after this, and you could easily cut together their two climactic battles, and you wouldn't know which shot was from which film. Unless exactly. You saw, and you, unless you even... saw Optimus or Captain America on screen, basically. And then you could even throw in shots from Winter Soldier's climax. In fact, I. I was like expecting that whole like on the ship thing from Winter Soldier. I realized it was Winter Soldier I was thinking of. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you could, those three films you could kind of cut together. So, and Winter Soldier would be like two years later. So they just, I, I guess Marvel is the, the real, the real uh, Nimoy in this case. Hmm. <laughs> what, what is, what, I guess, I guess we've gotten off of this particular one. I feel like the climax has to of these big movies now has to like well it has to be in a, like a, a multiverse doesn't it? it has to be in another dimension now. <laughs> well, the um the second movie definitely suffered because its climax was just in a desert. It's so there. after so the first yeah, one, like the this one, and pretty much all subsequent ones. Oh no, not so much the fifth one. It was just like oh. The climax works better in a city because you want to see the Transformers smash stuff. Yeah. The pyramid bits were cool, but then, yeah. What's like the one thing that you were saying that the one flaw with uh, Kong Island, Skull Island, was it didn't have the city smashing scene, right? Mm. Which I mm. guess you later. I still like that film a lot. Oh, same here. But I just for but, me, the perfect Kong movie has to be, you know, taken out of his element. Yeah. For a bit. <laughs> so. Maybe maybe that's kind of what we're getting to a certain yeah, I guess the yeah. second one does that. I mean, I feel like Transformers in the Desert are a good fit though. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's just when you're in like just a a war environment like that, you sort of lose track of the fact that Transformers are big. Mm. And part of the fun is that it's a big robot stomping around. With with lots of urban warfare, I, I guess this really did well push the. They had to get they had to get their army guys, and I'm sure Tom will have a few words about that in a minute or three. But <laughs> yeah, the army are especially shoehorned into the final act of this one. Don't really do anything useful. Yeah, because when they show up, is because these those guys are in like in all of these movies, or at least the first three. Do they keep showing up? I uh, I think none of them are in four. And then Lennox comes back for five. Okay. So you even have names there. I'm just like, oh, I remember that, that guy's in another movie. So <laughs> like the only thing I remember from the fifth is still the um the singing butler robot. So I, I forgot yeah, everything yeah. else about that movie, but I do love the singing butler robot. So you mean you forgot that in that film Cybertron plugs into Stonehenge like a socket? <laughs> I, I I forgot that because of the Matt Smith Doctor Who episode where kind of the same thing happens. So I think about the Doctor Who episode first. This one also overlaps with some Doctor Who episodes because around the same time, 
uh, they did a Doctor Who episode where it was all about the Apollo landings being used for some sci-fi trickery. And also, around the same time as this episode, Doctor Who did an episode where a planet is pulled into Earth's orbit. I think it was Gallifrey. Um, And I remember Stuart pointing out that between the original Transformers cartoon episode that did this, this big-budget movie and the supposedly real sci-fi Doctor Who episode, the only one that actually acknowledges the fact that gravity would be affected is the cartoon. In the cartoon, it causes like tidal waves and earthquakes and stuff all over the planet. Whereas in this and in Doctor Who, it's just like, yeah, there's a planet there. It's fine. Yeah, I think I had a note about that. Oh, but then we have to have all that insane fake physics with the skyscraper. So, (laughs) yeah, that skyscraper scene. It's cool for a bit. And then it just goes on and on. Yeah. Michael Bay was really proud of his idea of a tilting skyscraper scene. And it's like, this is way too long and doesn't have any Transformers in it. <laughs> Let's get back to the cool stuff. Oh, yeah. My, well, my it, no- does, it doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. Like, nothing happens because that building half falls over. It has no real, like, consequence in the unfolding battle, as far as I recall. It's just a kind of uh, intermission in between that final battle. So that we can is have the people true, falling around in the building. But I'm not a big fan of the stuff should only happen, it affects the plot argument in a film this done. <laughs> Here, I'm, no, 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 sure, sure. But it, it's like, if, if, there, if when the top of that building falls off, something happens, you've then well, justified they, your previous seven minutes of pissing around with the building falling over. Because they do a thing where Optimus is like trapped for part of the battle and has to get out. Like that could have been more directly affected tied into the building thing, right? Rather than well, just that's like what I mean. there's just hit e- some cables or something. No, no I, I'm, yeah, I'm taking yeah. this. You, your point does stand. Like, uh, I'm, I'm just saying that there, there must have been an easy, cheap way in which they could have tied it in uh, just so mm. that they gave themselves that excuse rather than it just being about Michael Bay going, oh yeah, wouldn't it be cool if like the building kind of half twirls over and then everyone tumbles down like this and then they fall out the other end and then it sort of shifts back and then they fall out the other side. And, then, and it's just like, give yourself a reason to do that because it's easy enough to do. But um, I don't think Michael Bay is that good a screenwriter or cares that much. I think he, yeah, he just well, gets so overexcited with the, the spectacle that he just goes, oh, who cares? No one will, no one will even notice. A scene <laughs> like that would have been amazing in, for example, a Die Hard film where it actually does mm. stick with the characters and make you feel the tension and, you know, things build and mean something. I say a Die Hard film, the one good Die Hard film at the start of the series that did things like that. Um, like, yeah, if partway through Die Hard, the building had started toppling, you'd have really felt it and it would have really meant something. I'm going to justify the entire sequence because there's just like a five second shot and they've already had some insane gravity bending stuff happening with the building mm. and they go on a floor. And I just noticed this time around that the entire office staff is still just there working. <laughs> like everyone was like kind of just at their desk and it looked like like they were just now noticing that you know there'd been like a battle raging around them for the past few hours so these films do do that a lot where the battle would have been going on for like 30 minutes of screen time and they turn onto a new street and it's like everyone there has just noticed the battle is going on 
Yeah, I think the building had already had some shred, and there's just like some, there's several dudes, just like and ladies, just like sitting at their desks, like they need to finish the report first. Which, for the most part, this film doesn't do because it does quite a cool job of like when the Decepticons show up, it's like semi War of the Worlds apocalyptic stuff where they like conquer Chicago and put the ring around it. You see people like huddled in stairwells and stuff. Trucked out and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, do you see people being skeletonized? <laughs> I mean, so I yeah, this is... one almost creates some like stakes and stuff for that stuff, that part. Yeah, I, I think th- with this movie, like impressed people as and had an impression on them that could be good or bad, but just by having a, such an out there climax, you know? Because mm. um, the first one is just like what a, a some battles, pun- some battles, some robots punching each other on the city street, more or less, right? Um, I think they climb a building a bit too, but this is just like this is like your your big sandbox video game climax, where like all of the cities in play, which you know that they, they'd get it a little mixed up in this because there's so much going on, and because they have such a large stage for their uh, their robotic battling tomfoolery. Mm. Well, also this mm-hmm. one. It really felt like a conclusion and a climax, uh, hence why they really didn't know what to do with two more films. Can someone explain to me how this plot is supposed to work at the end, whereby they're they're warping their home planet into Earth's atmosphere, but their home planet is so much bigger than Earth? So how is that supposed to work? I think in Earth's atmosphere is just a dumb line. It's not going to be in the atmosphere. They just want to get close so they can send human slaves over there. (laughs) Which, again, doesn't make sense because I don't think there's oxygen on the planet. So they're going to put all these people in spacesuits and they're going to go and somehow be useful as laborers compared to the giant robots they're working for. (laughs) It's utter nonsense. (laughs) Okay, okay. I'll I'll simply accept that that's that's that. (laughs) The other question I have, have you seen Moonfall? Because if you want to see a movie... That's the Roland Emmerich one, right? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely, I mean, it's terrible, but brilliant. I think you'll love it because it's like every single different theme and idea that has ever occurred in a Roland Emmerich film compressed into one. So you really do have like, you know, the military are planning to nuke the moon and just prevent it from crashing into the earth (laughs) at the same time as you have tidal waves crashing all over the place at the same time as you have NASA launching a rocket to the moon to try and save the Earth at the same time as you get the idea. It, it's yeah. so intense and so thematically dense as an experience to watch while simultaneously being a, a god-awful, schlocky, you know, disaster action. It, it didn't I think, seem I think to get really much of a, a release. Like, I, I found out it existed, like, after it had been out for a month. It didn't seem to come out in Japan at all. Um, it, it got virtually no marketing. I can only assume yeah. the people who financed it didn't want to put up any more money to promote the movie because <laughs> they'd already blown a hundred million dollars making a, a fairly terrible film that they'll never see a return on. But um, <laughs> as, as a curiosity, it's well worth your time. I, yeah. I was quite taken by the experience of watching Moonfall. Once I found out it existed, I was dead keen to see Roland Emmerich's The Moon Falls Down movie. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't want to see that? Yeah. <laughs> The big budget gritty reboot of Chicken Little. <laughs> but the uh, the scene for me, which doesn't make sense in this film, during the big climactic battle, they suddenly have um, the Autobots have all been captured, and it's like how, when, 
Like, I don't believe for a second Sideswipe, this, like, psychotic robot slicer, would just surrender. <laughs> but again, they could have easily included a line where it's like, oh, because they still think Sentinel Time can be reasoned with, they went and tried to talk to him and got captured. But they don't bother. They just, one minute you're seeing them battling, and then the next minute, oh, three Autobots have been captured. <laughs> because they wanted to do a scene where it looks like they're going to be executed and they escape. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. You can you can get that cool effect, or you can pony up the bill for a rewrite, you know, or a punch up. So yeah, they made their choice. The um, the weird thing is, people always talk about the second movie being like disjointed and messy, and in terms of like pacing, it is. But every scene in that film does is explained and follows on from the previous scene, whereas this film pacing wise works really well. You know, you open with just, um, there's like a little bit of a mystery. Then you have a little bit of a spy caper. Then that segues into they're banishing the Autobots. And then that seg- the baddies take over and you get the third act where the goodies win. Brilliant. But the individual scenes don't really make sense. They often do just cut to this idea would be cool. Mm. Well, I also I- found there was, there was quite a few jarring bits of editing where there's, um, in the midst of a scene where there's human dialogue and there's one line where one of the, bot- the bots says something and so they have to have a little bit of back and forth with one of them mm. and it's clearly been shot on a different day on a green screen and then just spliced in in the edit and it just felt really discontinuous in some moments. There's one the, the other particularly have- bad one where the first time Megatron transforms, they have like a shot of the truck and then for no reason at all, they cut to a slightly different shot of the truck. Like the the effects team had given them like their sample version of Megatron transforming, and Michael Bay was just like, "Fuck it, we'll just use that." Doesn't he use explosions for previous movies too, or something? <laughs> oh yeah, then there's one shot of a car being crushed from the island, which they just chuck into the car chase here. <laughs> I will say it's though, I love that where, car chase. Where the the the, uh, the arrival of uh, what's his name, the evil robot, the head of the evil robot gang. Sentinel Prime? Megatron. Megatron. Oh, Megatron. Megatron. When he first arrives, um, the sequence, the, the, the landscape around him keeps shifting from being grassland to desert. And it keeps cutting back and forth to like some elephants stood in a grassland. And then it cuts back to him and he stood in like bare desert, which is supposed <laughs> to be only about 100 feet away. Then it cuts yeah. back to lush grassland. It's really confusing. It's like, it's like Michael Bay thinks Africa is the size of like... Um, I don't know. A park? A pa- yeah, like a long week safari park. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you remember in the last movie, they're at the um, National Air and Space Museum. They walk out and suddenly it's like... They're in like a mountain land. range in the desert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it never explicitly tells us they are in Africa. So maybe Megatron really is just hanging out in a safari park somewhere. <laughs> but they've got three different climates like meters apart. The lions are more chill there. Like, all we're missing is the one shot where it's just like a family of five who are looking at the elephants and suddenly Megatron shows up. <laughs> a, feral, a feral tiger would be like a mosquito for a Decepticon, right? I mean, it would still be kind of annoying. Hmm. Well, it wouldn't be like a mosquito because it can't, like, actually bite them. Hmm. It would just be like a... Those caterpillars that get us at the temple. Yeah, yeah, just a bug that's just on you but not doing anything. Yeah, okay. I guess this is my moment to do this. I had a terrifying bug experience at the weekend. 
<laughs> so I went hiking as I do. Um, and I was up in the mountain and I, I, I saw a bear. Um, mm. Luckily, I was wearing my bells like you're supposed to. So the bear ran away from me. But it was pretty small. I thought, oh, that might mean mummy bear is around. So I should probably turn around. And I start heading back down. And along the path I need to take is one of those big orange Japanese murder hornets the size of my nose. Um, so I'm like, oh, shit, back up a little bit. I'm watching it. I see it sort of land on top of the branch. I'm like, okay, I think I've got enough courage to walk under this tree. Get down there. There's actually two of them. There's one on top of the branch and one underneath. Um, and I, I guess I do watch too much Michael Bay because briefly it occurred to me, I have got deodorant and matches in my bag. Should I make a flamethrower? Um, <laughs> But I didn't. I did the sensible option. And I just went off the path and sort of scrambled through the bush to get around the section where I had to walk through the two hornets. So the, the main question I have for you is, will you fight the bee in a steel cage? I've punched a bee before. Okay. <laughs> I don't particularly want to fight one of these Japanese hornets, but if a Patreon puts up enough money, I will fight one in a steel cage. Okay. <laughs> I guess we, we should start to pump up that that Ura aspect. Um, and, and Tom, you mentioned you wanted to talk a little bit about your new documentary, which seems like the way to dovetail into that. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, um, people who've listened to me on your show before will be familiar with my work on spyculture.com about how all of these different government agencies work in Hollywood. And I, well, we recently completed, I co-produced a documentary called Theatres of War. Uh, you can find it, or at least you can find the pay-per-view option on the homepage of my website. And it, it gets into primarily the Department of Defense and the CIA in Hollywood. And Transformers does come up quite a few times in the documentary because it's, it's one of those films that features an awful lot of military hardware without necessarily being really ostentatious about it. They don't necessarily feature right in the center of the action, but there's a lot of it in the background in one way or another. Slightly less in this movie, to be fair. Um, but like you say, they, they do just shoehorn in those the military guys from the previous movies because they kind of need someone and they sort of wanted some kind of military character in this film. And so that's why they're there. Um, and yeah, yeah, when you read the documents on Transformers, some of them are hilarious because they kind of list all of the different like vehicles, the different aircraft and, and uh, tanks and what have you that were going to appear in the movie. And they were so proud of this. They were so happy about this. Um, that's what's really at stake for them in these kinds of movies. And it's why, I mean, I guess the point that I'd, I'd like to make is just how weird it is that a sci-fi movie, a sci-fi adventure movie that's quite childish, ultimately, that's part of its appeal, has become this very big vehicle for promoting the military, promoting military technology, 
and I guess by extension, promoting the enormous budgets that get spent on all of this technology. I mean, that's kind of why they want to showcase it is to say to people, this is where your money has gone. This is what you're spending it on. Look at this fantastic aircraft flying past. And it's sort of, there's something quite insidious about that. Because like you say, this is a really dumb movie. It's supposed to just be a dumb, fun movie. Let's be honest, it's, trying, it's about like alien robots. Um, it shouldn't be at all serious and it shouldn't even be grounded in the real world. It should be absurd and fun and escapist. And yet it's basically only really because of people like the American military that it is kind of, I guess, in some way grounded in the real world or has some kind of messaging about the real world rather than just being a fun adventure about some robots, which is what it should be. It should be as innocent as that because that's the good part of it. But of course, Michael Bay has a huge hard on of the American military and basically works with them on almost every film that he makes. So here we are. Something yeah. that's weird about these films is the only actual Transformers that become military equipment are always bad guys. Yeah, I think that's kind of like a form of intimidation propaganda. They want to say, you know, look how badass our technology mm. is. Look how much better it is than, you know, the Chinese or the Russians or whoever else it is that might be sort of by comparison. And of course, these films do show in all of those countries as well. So there is a, an element of getting through to those audiences, of, you know, just how dangerous and intimidating the American military is and how they shouldn't mess with them. So I guess that's part of the idea behind all of that. Yeah, like, of course the alien would choose to be an American F-22. It wouldn't want to be a sissy foreign airplane. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't want to be a Chinese MiG because they're kind of old-fashioned now. They're not so cool anymore. No, no, you want to mm. be the most latest, up-to-date, terrifying, destructive, killing machine that you can be. I find it the sequel, which does have, like, a big... The CIA, CIA are literally the baddies in the fourth film. Suddenly, it's the Chinese military that's funding the movie. <laughs> no, for me, that's kind of like the the double bluff. Like I was like, "Oh, you guys got me. You're you're selling me back my childhood." And then, you know, I'm seeing the seeing the forest for the trees, not seeing the forest for the trees, right? Because mm. since I've already figured out they've got me buying a ticket simply because they're appealing to five year old Matt. You know, I, maybe a lot of the military stuff did kind of like go unnoticed. I'm like, oh, I already figured it out, you know, which which I kind of didn't, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, the first Transformers came out right at a time where I guess I, I could have joined the military. I mean, it didn't convince me to do that, but maybe it convinced someone to, you know, get, get into some oorah. I don't know. I'm sure there's a generation of kids who grew up watching those films. It gave them the idea the army are cool and they went and died in a pointless war. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah. These films definitely have blood on their hands. I, I was a Boy Scout. Cub Scouts especially, everyone was going around and you had to choose one of the one of the Top Gun pilot names, right? I mean, that's that's an obvious one, you know? Um, Were you Goose? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was at a point where, like, you know, it's like seven-year-olds, like, maybe i hadn't even seen the movie at that point so i mm. just had to learn about it vicariously i mean i've seen it at some point but uh yeah <laughs> i'm sure we had some transformer stuff too oh no no we just we, we tried to build the arc in my living room that's that's what happened the, the, <laughs> the animated one <laughs> nice in my memory it worked so i don't know <laughs> 
Well, that is one of the problems with the military being involved in something like a sci-fi movie is that they are supposed to be vicarious fantasies that appeal to your inner child. Um, that that it's, it's just kind of wrong to me that they use it as a, as a means of trying to recruit people into real-life wars and real-life mm. militaristic misadventures. Um, because these movies could have been... I mean, I know it's. I mean, I, I kind of hate Michael Bay's directing st- absence of directing style. Um, <laughs> I don't like his editing style because it's very much came. I mean, he came up through um, doing car adverts, and you mm. can really tell that watching his movies. They're, very, they're shot and edited very much like adverts. Well, there's, there's a big uh, old like scene TV in this film that's movies. basically a car advert. <laughs> like five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For the Dotson? <laughs> I'm not thinking of the bit where they go to. Um, Carly's boss's car museum and it shows off one of the cars while also panning up her body. <laughs> that's yeah, okay, that's pretty car commercial guy. You got it. Um here's something uh, that Luke, you you and I noticed, um, because uh in in the documentary you have a lot of top gun stuff, and of course Maverick is coming out and we oh that's interesting. But we noticed the director is like a sci-fi guy. He did Tron Legacy, Oblivion. And now he's doing Maverick. And we're like, that's kind of weird. Just mentioning shoehorning sci-fi. Or now we're shoehorning the sci-fi director into the uh, into the Navy pilot film. So, I mean, I think it's just that he's a Tom Cruise guy rather than anything else. That that could be it. But I was wondering if they were yeah. looking for some, yeah. you know, some sci-fi whiz bang to put into the the new movie. But yeah, I guess it's not. Is it out? Maybe it's about to be out. It's out um, next week. Okay, so I guess it's too too early to make comment on that, but yeah, that did make me curious. Like, what kind of approach is this going to be? So I can't imagine it will have the um, the huge impact on naval recruitment that the first one had. <laughs> well, you never know. It could <laughs> you could be surprised. <laughs> um, oh, I lost my train of thought. It went away again. Choo choo. <laughs> Um, I guess I'll oh so the NASA element of this one. Like Oh yeah, yeah, that's what we were originally gonna go whack on that. This actually doesn't have as much moon. It has the last shuttle, which I guess when did the last shuttle actually launch? It was about twenty eleven, wasn't it? Oh, you might be right, yeah. Yeah. Because I remember it live streamed being like, oh, it did have, watch this. It did have Buzz Aldrin show up. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. Mm. I get the impression Buzz will just do anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he looked pleased as Punch to be there. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He loved me in Optimus Prime. Didn't have to punch anyone in the face that day. I bet he was disappointed <laughs> when he got there and it turned out Optimus Prime is CG. He thought there was going to be a big puppet for him to fist bump. <laughs> well, in Japan, you get the, the life-size Gundam now, so that's, yeah. that's nice. <laughs> uh, another point that I'm just going to rip off from Stuart, the... Um, these films end up portraying Obama way worse than they ever did Bush. Like the first film has like a comedy little spoof scene of George Bush. But the second and third ones both have Obama trying to banish the Autobots. He doesn't like large robots. Yeah. He liked the small robots, the, the droney <laughs> ones. Oh, yeah. He loved using small robots. Oh, that's another thing that's fucked up about this film. At the start, the Autobots are just like, executing humans for the u.s government yeah yeah like i said they're doing <laughs> i don't it. think they ever did that in the comics or the cartoon <laughs> <laughs> but i put the 
global housekeeping one what did I write yeah 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 you yeah. mentioned it in your thing but yeah it's so unnecessary and like if you actually think about it for more than a second super fucked up yeah cuz iron man straight up tells them no in the movies yeah they're like do that he's like no and they have to build their own of course but uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that that is kind of yeah eh. The fascist Autobots. Who's the, who's the real? They're they're all evil robots in the end. Well, again, Optimus Prime gets into like such a you know rage, hate, violent spurt at the end, which is awesome to watch, like you said. But it seems rather unheroic of him. I mean, at least he doesn't tell anyone to give me your face in this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just thought you know Optimus seems a bit killy. For well, yeah, he one. does when like Sam asks him, "What's your plan to fight back?" He's like, oh, no plan. Disappears. The next time he sees him, he says, we'll kill them all. <laughs> he made his plan. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Optimus is not showing that sharing spirit. Everyone's mm. a murderer today. <laughs> I do like the um, the sort of human baddie they shoehorn in just because he does such a good job of being really unlikable. Yeah, yeah. Like, sexy billionaire hitting on my girlfriend and I get to kill him with a big rock at the end. <laughs> That's some audience wish fulfillment. <laughs> I believe he'd just come off the yeah, TV yeah. show uh, Nip Tuck where he'd been kind of a swarmy bastard. So it was like he was he was he'd been stewing in that particular smell of juice for several years by the Oh point. I thought I thought he was a Grey's Anatomy guy. I knew he was some sort of TV doctor. No, we we used to yeah used to get blazed and watch Nip Tuck. Why, why did that happen? Okay. <laughs> Seems like he thought he was going to be the next George Clooney. Yeah. Oh, oh, this was his, he chose the wrong movie, didn't he? he yeah. I mean, he been so Batman. did George Clooney, but somehow George Clooney bounced back. <laughs> well, he, he, he started directing. That yeah. helped probably. <laughs> yeah. Confession of a Danger. Actually, he's barely in that, is he? But he directed it. It's a good movie. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I'm, geez, that had to come on your radar at some point, Tom. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy who, the guy that the movie is based on, Chuck Barris, in his autobiography, claimed that he actually was a CIA assassin. So the whole question is, was he? Uh, is that actually a true story or not? I mean, I don't know. I honestly don't know. And he's dead now, so we'll probably never find out. It um, seems but... more reasonable in 2022 somehow than when I first saw yeah. the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it does doesn't it i think at the time it came out a lot of people found it fairly risible but um on reflection it doesn't quite seem so strange i mean just to, to go back to your point about how it depicts pre different presidents michael bay has made a number of movies that were clearly designed to um elicit right-wing approval let's say mm. i mean his benghazi movie came out just months before the 2016 election and obviously the benghazi scandal was one of the big beating sticks for the clintons so well hillary clinton in particular and he denied that this had anything to do with politics or anything like that as he would as hollywood always does when it does these things but just as comey did <laughs> exactly you know Everyone always says, oh, no, no, I'm not making propaganda. I'm not making a political move. And it's, or, you know, I'm not playing any kind of game or making political hay here, but they actually are all the time and they know it. Well, there's um, no such thing as something that's not political. Well, certainly not where you're like depicting the president 
the well, military yeah. <laughs> and things like that. I mean, how, how can you argue that when you're, you know, the government are playing a fairly central role in your plot, that your movie isn't in any way political? Um, yeah. Well, you could feel you're not making propaganda and, you know, on a more subconscious level, you're still doing it. Um, well, if, you're, I, yeah, if you're part of a society and making a film about that society, it's propaganda for someone. Well, I was hearing someone recently make the point like um, that if, you know, there's the idea like, oh, the, there's the elites out there and they're really smart and they're screwing with us in every way and they're doing evil stuff. And then there's like, no, these people at the top are super incompetent and all this horrible stuff is happening because of incompetence. Now, the point was, does it really matter which it is? <laughs> well, the thing is, I think a lot of people cling to conspiracy theories because they want to believe someone is in control of all this, yeah. even if it is the evil, satanic, demonic elite. The, um, the point being, whereas, yeah, doing, the, yeah, the real horrible. thing is, it's, it's the systems that are fucked up and keeping us down. And like the people we see as at the top don't necessarily have any more agency within the system than the people we see as at the bottom. Right. And I think there is a difference in terms of if you genuinely believe that like, you know, Hillary Clinton is a space demon and that she's the reason everything's fucked up, then you can imagine deposing her and fixing everything. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you think it's just like, oh, we've built a country which exists to keep the poor poor and the rich rich and to fuck us all over, where do you begin fighting that? Yeah, I think this was more like the individual, you know, kind of like, I guess the karma thing, like if you're doing something because you're evil or doing something because you're stupid, it's the same result. So you're just as culpable. Mm. <laughs> Incompetence well, that's, that's is an why excuse. I didn't know it was illegal. It's not considered a like valid legal defense. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> So anyway, just a fun moral rabbit hole to jump into for a minute or three. Um, did, does there's anything... I, I, will, I will say one of the things that I do enjoy about this franchise, and I know I keep saying that I really hate these films and then saying, oh, there are some things I enjoy about them. But that's one of the problems with these movies is there are <laughs> little things in them that almost anyone can enjoy. I think that's one of the reasons they're quite popular is there's a, there is a little bit of something in there for almost everyone. Mm. Um, unless, of course, you're a woman. Um, but... The opening montage of this film, I actually think is really good. It's I think well done, it, yeah. You know, it's well done. It's well paced. It ties together a bunch of sort of weird, interesting, different things. Moon landing, Chernobyl, what have you. It establishes some kind of stakes. It's a little bit of tease for the people who are a little bit more conspiracy minded, or at least like that kind of content being in their silly sci-fi movies. Um, mm. And it was kind of downhill from there to be honest, but I do, I do like how they incorporate some of this stuff. I do like how in the second one, um, like the, the guy who's like Homeland Security in the first one, he becomes the conspiracy theorist. He becomes the online whack job in the second movie. And they're obviously playing on that and playing up to that. So, cause they know that some of the people in the audience actually kind of quite like that content, even if it's just for entertainment, even if they don't necessarily buy into it politically, they still like it. So it's fun to have a character like that in there. Mm. So, what that Michael Bay's films are occasionally in moments redeemable, I think. Uh, Michael Bay is an absolute master of the montage. Mm. Like the montage in this, the montage of the Autobots landing in the first film. That's very good, yeah. Yeah, he's very good at just music and visuals. But again, you know, car commercials. Mm -hmm. It's when there's dialogue that he maybe doesn't do so well. Well, or story. Yeah. Or, or drama 
or, or <laughs> comedy <laughs> yeah, romance or something like that. Would it, yeah, it's if just you stuff are... happening and a feeling that he's trying to generate. He can handle that. That's why I think the perfect Transformers movie would just be a three hour long battle scene between robots with zero dialogue. <laughs> you gotta have Optimus saying something. Oh yeah, he can say his like speeches that sound cool and don't necessarily make any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Today, some kind in the of name of freedom, we this. take the fight to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that Braveheart nonsense. Yeah, yeah. You can throw in a bit of that just to give it some shape. Although but I think you're, I think you're right. If they stripped out the people, or at least the vast majority of the people, these would be better movies. Although the reason um, you think you think these films have terrible writing and stuff, then you go and play the uh, the Transformers arcade games that they made in the last few years, and they've got a bad Peter Cullen impressionist doing even worse versions of these Transformers speeches. And it's the worst thing you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> or the best. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking with the um having the conspiracy whack job in the second one or whatever. Like we were talking last year, Godzilla versus Kong like really jumps, you know, head first into that. <laughs> Which I think a lot of things try and jump head first. I think we brought this up in Kong as well. They jump in with like, here's a guy who's a conspiracy theorist nut job, but they don't have the balls to commit to like most of these guys are like big racist assholes. <laughs> so they have it as he's a black guy and he actually is like on the fringe of society and being um uh like because obviously conspiracy theorists like to believe they're the oppressed minority. And they never are. Um, whereas the films, he actually is like an oppressed guy. They never have the they never have the balls to have. Here is a guy who believes all of this weird nut job stuff, and the reason he believes that is because he's a white supremacist. <laughs> whereas oh, that is do- the vast majority of these actual people. <laughs> they, they do the exact same thing in Moonfall. They one of the main characters in that is kind of a conspiracy sort of conspiracy theorist or like, like paranormal mm. theorist or something in that realm anyway. And he's the one who's saying, you know, the moon's hollow. The moon's this kind of alien megastructure. And oh, oh, look, it's shifted on its trajectory. We need to really be paying attention to this. And no one's listening to him for about 15 minutes because it's Roland Demerick. He moves on quickly. Um, <laughs> but he's, you know, a perfectly nice guy. He's friendly. He's quite likable. He's quite funny. There's nothing kind of insidious or nasty about him. Mm. And then it emerges that NASA... <clears throat> kind of fitting in with this movie, had actually known about this, this about the moon, ever since the moon landings back in the 60s, that they'd realised that the moon was a hollow alien megastructure all the way back then, and that they'd covered it up. And so they literally wheel out Donald Sutherland to essentially repeat the thing that he did in JFK in the Mr. X scene, where he kind of lays it all out and explains the kind of background to the JFK conspiracy. And it's obvi- so un- such an obvious nod to that bit of cinema. But in this he's in a wheelchair in like a NASA basement in the archive <laughs> and he's only there for one scene. And he, he, I think he did it in one take to be honest, because it's not very good. I'm actually a little disappointed to learn that in Moonfall, the moon is an alien superstructure. I found it much funnier to think it's literally just the moon, but the moon is falling down. <laughs> no, no, there's a whole conspiracy involving ancient AI that's trying to wipe out all organic life in the universe. And yeah, 
There's a lot okay. to that movie. Got to kind of it. I was saying until you said Donald Sutherland, I was like, well, you're act- you're also explaining the plot or the beginnings of 2012 and the day after tomorrow. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's the same thing. Um, and to some extent, um, uh, Jeff Goldblum's father in Independence Day, and yeah, the guy it. who was kidnapped by aliens in Independence Day. Yep. Well, and yeah. um, Daniel Jackson in Stargate. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we oh, and Godzilla, so. <laughs> and to some extent, the president in White House Down, he explains that the whole attack on the White House is being orchestrated by the military industrial complex. Mm. <laughs> mm. Is Roland Emmerich a conspiracy guy? Huh. I think so. <laughs> um, Luke, is there anything else you really need to scream out about, about giant robots this time around? I am, in terms of giant robots specifically, Car chase is really cool. Um, I do think, at least in a very superficial way, the dynamic of Sentinel Prime and Optimus Prime is more interesting to watch than the villains in the previous two films. Um, like the Fallen was nothing. The first one, Megatron, wasn't really anything. Here he was kind of interesting as a villain. Uh, the next film has a much cooler villain, though. Uh the big final battle is good, but maybe goes on too long even for me. The money shot of that fight scene where Optimus is flying in and chopping up a whole bunch of robots was in all the trailers, and that is the moment that made me stop watching trailers for Transformers films. <laughs> um, and not on the giant robot tack, but the I mentioned this briefly, the Rosie Huntington-Whiteley's character, Carly. A, she works in a car museum. Megan Fox's character had been a mechanic the whole time. B, there's a scene at the end where she talks to Megatron and affects the final outcome of the final battle by convincing Megatron to do something. But this version of the character had never met Megatron apart from like Mm. once. Whereas had it actually been Megan Fox's character, Michaela, who'd been through all of this stuff with the previous two films, it would have made sense that she could actually have a conversation with Megatron and convince him to do something. Um, And the third thing on that is, I'm stealing this from Stuart Webb, but... Uh, the first two films, Sam never rescues the girl. She always rescues him. So the fact that in this film, she's just there to be a damsel in distress wouldn't have been so bad because it would have been he's finally stepping up and mm-hmm. he's being the act. She'd always been the the one with agency and Sam had just been dragged through everything. So it would have been a big like reversal. Whereas because it's a brand new character who hasn't done anything, She's literally just there to be his girlfriend who gets kidnapped and rescued. How would you feel if they had recast? I think recasting would have been better than making it a different character. Yeah, we, we lived with it with Savick and Star Trek, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, lots of, lots of films recast characters. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, but it seems to be becoming less and less popular now mm. because films love to have all this continuity. Well, Star Wars would rather spend millions of dollars CGIing Mark Hamill and just cast another soppy blonde guy. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> they did that too. They just put a bunch of black dots on his face so then they can make him look like Mark Hamill. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, because they seem convinced that Solo flopped because it changed the actor rather than because it was marketed <laughs> badly and was an unnecessary film. <laughs> <laughs> and was probably poorly conceived, poorly written, and they abandoned yeah. production halfway through and then reshot two-thirds of the movie with a different director, so it all came out a bit incoherent. But like, look at Donald Glover's Lando and you can see that recasting actors is actually fine if it's done well. 
<laughs> yes. Look at the James Bond franchise, which is like oh, yeah. the biggest movie franchise of all time and one of the longest running. They've had like seven different people play the lead part. You well, know? Look at Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, and ba- Spider-Man just did a film where it celebrated having three different Spider-Mans. Yeah. No, but I, I, I mean, that, that's they... a perception of studios that doesn't actually exist in audiences, to be honest. I think audiences will accept it as long as it's done well. But I mean, those the Batman and Spider-Man and Bond are specifically they're kind of reboots each time. This is the mm. modern like MCU. Everything is one big continuity thing. They feel like they can't recast the actors because it has to feel like every movie is just episodes in one ongoing TV show. But again, I think you're right. I think audiences wouldn't care that much. See, Doctor Whenever they go future. like Marvel does that scene where it's like, I, I think I know a guy and it just cuts to a generic white man. <laughs> like sure super geeks like me know oh that's ant-man i think most of the audience knows who they are until they put the costume on so <laughs> i don't think anyone cares yeah i was gonna say doctor who certainly a uh, future proofed itself mm-hmm. recasting yeah. <laughs> there is some genius So um, I guess we'll talk a little bit about how this one holds up. I'm actually going to say I feel like this one, like I told you, I liked two better watching again. This one I seem to like a lot less for some reason. (laughs) Not a lot less, but notably less, I'll say. I think it's a cinematic masterpiece and I won't be convinced otherwise. (laughs) I'm just coming in this weird place where I'm starting to agree with you about the whackness of two's action sequences actually are. Like I don't the, think the, it yeah, ever hits the highs of that forest battle in two, mm. but I think, well, like I said, in terms of like actual logic, it doesn't hold together as well as most as the other the first two films, but in terms of like emotional pacing, I think it's really solid. I I, I know you hate it when I put it in music terms, but it's kind of like Led Zeppelin or the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're really good bands, but like all the bands that they inspired suck (laughs) (laughs) so uh like you said it's the climax of this movie is almost literally copied multiple times yep but i think i do like avengers better as a film um i haven't rewatched the first avengers in a while the problem i think actually avengers is great up until the final battle yeah. My big problem with the first Avengers film is that they were absolute paper enemies. <laughs> and you yeah, never felt like... The final battle is, is just generic. You yeah. ne- well, and you never feel for a second that any Avenger is in any danger. Not really. Um, whereas watching this, I do believe that one of the named Autobots could die at any moment. And every yeah. now and then it does kill one. Yeah, yeah, that, that's cool. And... um. And then I think, uh, again, I mentioned Winter Soldiers doing this kind of doing this climax yet again. Mm. Um, in that case, I actually do. I thought it worked. So, yeah. I remember really liking Winter Soldier in the theaters. I don't think I've seen it since. 
Okay. I think that was the point where I was just like, okay, they're making too many of these for me to be rewatching them. Mm. (laughs) I I think I slightly later came to that conclusion. So I did watch it a couple of times. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I spent two years writing a book on superhero movies. And since we finished it, I haven't been able to watch a single one. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I keep saying uh, in this podcast, like just looking this closely at sci-fi films has made me like way less interested in uh, superheroes and Star Wars, you know? Yeah. I'll I'll still watch them when they come out, but I've got far less to say about an Avengers movie than I have most other films that me and Matt pick up. There's a reason we don't really do many superhero films anymore, because we did... Spider-Man, then we did Spider-Man 2, and by the end of Spider-Man 2, we were like, I've run out of stuff to say about Spider-Man on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and the movie itself didn't really have much to talk about, as good as it, it is. Well, be- because it is just like a really solid, good movie that just does superhero stuff. I mean, Transformers, Dark of the Moon, does have more to talk about because it has all these bizarro corners that barely make sense. Yeah, well, one of the reasons I like doing podcasts about these Transformers films is because they're such a fucking mess. <laughs> and, like, we haven't even gotten to the messy two yet. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, you've, you've been saying all along that that end, whole ending sequence has been ripped off in a whole bunch of movies, and you're right, but they did rip off the whole thing with Optimus Prime with the jetpack on his back from Robocop 3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Clearly, uh, Michael Bay saw that, and unlike everyone else who watched that ending to the movie, thought that Robocop with a jetpack was great, and he thought, I'm, I'm going to do that with a Transformer. Well, he, he didn't see that, because then he would have been like, oh, you can recast some of your leads. <laughs> 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 he kind of missed that particular aspect. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, Luke, what is your favorite of the Transformer films? It probably is this one. Okay. As an overall film. But again, if I'm just cherry picking scenes, my favorite scene is from the second one. Yeah, I think too, the second one is switched from being my least favorite to my favorite because I'm like, okay, we, we, should, if, we might as well lean in on the ridiculous aspects of this mm-hmm. franchise, which the second one does the most. I guess. And then four and five, I love how mad they are. But I they're, can't... Ju- they're too long, man. I can't remember anything about four and five except. Four is the one with dinosaurs, and five's the one with. I didn't even remember Stonehenge. I just remember the butler robot. So, you know, I, I think I've seen both those like once. So, five like... literally starts with King Arthur and Merlin teaming up with a transformer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, yeah, he, he tra- Michael Bay made three where the studio was kind of involved. And then it, it's like, if it wasn't for the fact they clearly have a huge budget, you'd think he was just like, away making these films in a Serbian basement or something because it's like there's no oversight to whatever mad nonsense he wants to put in there. <laughs> no oversight can be fun though. Anyway, we we will we will be working our way into that. Um I guess we'll wrap up today. Tom, can you tell them where you're at? Sure, sure, sure. If people want to uh, hear a bit more of my stuff or listen to my podcast, they can uh, or watch the documentary Theaters of War. They can check out everything at spyculture.com. Okay. Luke, you've enjoyed this working? podcast you can find us on twitter at mlsfspod we're also on facebook youtube spotify apple podcasts all of that stuff and make sure you go to patreon.com slash podcastia podcastius where if you want to you can chuck us a dollar a month to help keep it online but even if you don't that's a great website to go and find links to all the stuff me and matt make all right 
Sorry, I'm just starting to realize I got up and did this podcast without drinking coffee first. No, that's why I'm drinking cans of coffee. I know. I've been watching. bothered to make any myself, so I used up my last two cans. I've been watching you and, and envious of it. <laughs> Don't you have a wife? Can't you just be like, coffee? <laughs> I could if I lived in a Michael Bay movie. <laughs> <laughs> or in the opening scene of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> the worst is still um, Armageddon, where um, he yes. spots the asteroid and just starts psychotically screaming at his wife. <laughs> I thought you were running the, the worst Michael Bay movie weeks. was Armageddon, but okay. Uh, Armageddon is pretty bad, but the concept of space madness is really funny to me. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was great. <laughs> and we are overlooking Pearl Harbor, which I, genu- I think that's that's got to be the worst one. Pain and gain, which is although funny and interesting, like actively morally really problematic because <laughs> it's a film that glorifies some real life murderers. <laughs> <laughs> now, I never even saw Pearl Harbor. It's like what? It's three hours? No. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Pearl Harbor because I'm a Brit and have no interest in Pearl Harbor as a historical event. Because that was that was not long after Titanic, and I had taken four different girls to see Titanic, so I was just finished with long movies for a while. Whoa! Look at this player. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's funny. No, they girls just wanted to see Titanic in 1997. You know. Oh yeah, I can imagine. I wasn't even, like romantically involved with all four. I just it's fun to say I took four different girls to Titanic. So mm. <laughs> it's not quite as saucy as it sounds. <laughs> I took four different girls on the Titanic, but I didn't let any of them on my lifeboat. <laughs> okay I, I'm, i've been trying to sit here thinking of the perfect nemoy line to end this with but uh, yeah it's not happening luke you got one uh i've been spinning my wheels for a few seconds but i didn't drink my coffee either bilbo 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 baggins the bravest little hobbit of the pole. Yes, yes, yes.